Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Monday, June 14th. On today's show, Los Angeles Clippers bomb out the Utah Jazz in Game 3 with Game 4 looming tonight. Before we get there, this show can now be downloaded via an app. You go and search for The Beehive TV. You can get all of No Baller and and its offerings. Uh, Push notifications, video and audio, all the good stuff. Please go and download that if you enjoy this show. Please share it with people in your life that enjoy sports. Uh, I'm very confident that they will enjoy it as well. Now we will start the show in a way that we always do, with a tidbit as to why gambling should be legal in Utah. Last night, the Denver Nuggets play the Phoenix Suns in Game 4 of their Western Conference semifinal series. I want to gamble on it because I don't think the game is going to be that entertaining. So I bet Nikola Jokic under 7.5 assists. Uh, And I'm watching the game play out, and there's... A lot of things I love about basketball, and there are some things that I absolutely despise. Uh, Two of those things. The NBA cannot make up its mind about what a flagrant foul is. And indeed, if you look cross-eyed at somebody or breathe in the wrong way in the general vicinity of a player, sometimes that merits a flagrant or an ejection. Thing that I despise about the NBA. And another thing is they will go to a review monitor and review for days and weeks And years at times, it feels like. And I sit at home wanting to bash my head against a wall. I I can't take it. These are two things that I truly, truly despise about the NBA. So with about three minutes to go in the third quarter, Jokic is sitting on four assists. You know, it's still within range. I'm going to have to sweat it out. I know this. And he comes in and chops down on Cameron Payne, the backup point guard of the Phoenix Suns. Catches him on the nose. And now we're embroiled in one of these things. Uh, The refs are trying to decide if it's a flagrant foul. What's a flagrant foul? Oh, no. Oh, no. Let's take it to the review. So now we got three minutes going by. We got 10 minutes. We got 10 days. Who knows how long it took? This could be July for all I know. The main point is we get to the end of it, and the refs say that's a flagrant too. Nikola Jokic, you are out of here. And (laughs) I'm probably the only person that is watching this game who looks around and goes, oh, well, this excites me because it gave me a reminder as to why gambling should be legal in Utah because it will provide you with literally the only opportunity ever to side with the NBA in how they interpret flagrant fouls and the fact that it takes 15 minutes to do so. And now a word from our sponsor. With your masquerading Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. Saturday night, the Clippers defeated the Jazz in Game 3, 132-106. 26-point uh, game. It was not really close at any point after about the tail end of the second quarter. Story of the game was the Clippers' offense, which continually put Utah in a blender and never relented at any point during all four quarters. Before we get to my analysis of the game, I want to read a couple things from Jared Dubin of 538 that were written before this series began. Uh, to set the stage about how the Clippers want to play offense and how the Jazz want to play defense. Unfortunately for Utah, the team it's facing in the second round of the NBA playoffs 
is one of the rare few that doesn't prioritize access to the paint to create efficient offense, and in turn, poses a unique challenge for one of the league's best defenders. The Los Angeles Clippers took only 40.21% of their shots this season from the paint, per second spectrum. That was the third lowest share in the NBA this year, and 14th lowest among the 240 team seasons in the player tracking era since 2013-2014. Against the Dallas Mavericks in the first round of the playoffs, the Clippers took just 40% of their shots from the paint. LA was also the best three-point shooting team in the NBA this season and fourth best all-time, knocking down 41.1% of its attempts from beyond the arc. And it continues. LA's two primary offensive options, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, are each devastating scores against the drop. There are 150 players who have run at least 1,000 pick-and-rolls against opponents playing drop coverage during the second spectrum era, and Leonard and George rank 2nd and 19th, respectively, in points per possession generated for their team on those plays. This season, they ranked 1st, Leonard, and 4th, George, among the 89 players who faced drop coverage at least 250 times. End quote. So you see a stark contrast in how the Clippers want to play offense versus how the Jazz want to play defense. And this indeed was a contrast to the Jazz's first round opponent. Memphis wanted to get into the paint. They led the league in points scored per game in the paint area. And the Jazz, they go, all right, we're more than comfortable playing that way. Second round series, the Clippers, are, uh, they say, we don't really care about that. Uh, we have a team that can shoot the three. We have two players who are incredibly gifted at playing in the pick and roll and especially playing against drop coverage, the style of coverage that the Jazz want to play with Rudy Gobert so he can hang back and defend as much as possible. Uh, so the Clippers have had some success and some not through the first two games. I've actually been very impressed in this series with Rudy Gobert in his ability to hang and impact play in a series that is not necessarily suited to his skill set. You've seen him dance around the perimeter. Uh, you've seen him block Marcus Morris at the end of game one. You've seen him grab 20 rebounds in game two and play defense on the perimeter in a way that is, is very good and impactful from a big man who doesn't necessarily want to be doing that. So game three begins, and the Clippers, who are continually in this uh, crisis of identity and don't know who they want to start and who they want to play off the bench, they say, all right, this is kind of a do-or-die game for us. Uh, we're going to start small. They roll out their five-man unit to begin that they probably should be playing as much as possible in this series. Nick Batum, Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Reggie Jackson. Uh, switchable, no clearly defined big, and a unit that plays into the strengths of the Clippers on offense. This ability to stretch a defense out on the perimeter uh, and put the Jazz, and Gobert especially, in uncomfortable spots. So the Clippers have a lot of success offensively in this game. They finish with an offensive rating of 142. That's uh, an incredible number. For reference, the league leader this year, they're at 118. That's 118 points per 100 possessions. So the Clippers in this game, that's... 24 points higher per 100 possessions. That's the rate they're scoring at. Uh, at no point did the Jazz really even slow down their offense, much less stop them. Uh, and that's the story of the game. They come out from the get-go, and, and they're relentlessly attacking Utah. 
in this way, the way to make them uncomfortable. George, Kawhi, Reggie Jackson. Uh, get Utah moving around the perimeter. Even if they play good defense, we trust in our ability to make shots. And if they don't, if they get confused or if they can't stay in front of their man, it's going to be a steady diet of open three-point shots and shots at the rim. So there was some Clippers shot-making that was involved in this game. Uh, there were really high-level shots from, I'll go back to Paul George and Reggie Jackson, especially in that first half, where the Jazz play great defense. And, you know, great offense is going to trump great defense. And that happens sometimes. And then there are other times that it was just kind of lackluster from the Jazz, and you didn't see the effort and the awareness that extended defense on a string that they really leaned into in games one and two. You didn't see that. Uh, That was really symbolized by a play to end the first half and a play to start the second half. You know, the final play of the first half is Jazz scoring with about six seconds or so to go on the clock. Reggie Jackson catches the inbound and just trots right down the court. Mitchell's playing whatever kind of defense, and he gets a kind of an easy floating layup, scores right near the buzzer. The Jazz are all looking around, not really sure what happened. And that was a symbol of what the Jazz brought to the table defensively in this game. Uh, the second half begins, and there's a combination of the Jazz being there and the Clippers being relentlessly aggressive. Uh, Paul George, he drives straight into Rudy Gobert as hard as can be, and Gobert plays great defense. Uh, forces him to miss a layup, but George stays with it. He grabs the rebound. He flips it over to Kawhi, who finishes it now with a layup at the rim while Gobert is arguing about whether or not George had committed an offensive foul. It was just two plays out of a lot, but they really stood out to me as I was watching because I go, I didn't see that in the first two games. I saw the Jazz just selling out continually, moving their feet, especially on the perimeter, and making it really hard for the Clippers to get to the hoop and to get a steady diet of open looks on the perimeter. Uh, I mentioned Paul George and Reggie Jackson. And those two were really, really important tone setters in the first half for the Clippers. George scores 20 points. He goes four for seven from three-point land. Reggie Jackson scores 14. He goes four for five from three. And they're both really aggressive at seeking out the shots that the Clippers want. Uh, Three-pointers, again, four for seven and four for five. And for George, he was really aggressive out of pick and rolls, attacking, 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 attacking. And a lot of times the Jazz played good defense on him at the rim. And he had just some incredible finishes or he missed, but he didn't stop. Uh, One of the knocks on the joke version of playoff P is when you make life hard, he just kind of recedes to the background and he doesn't really want to fight for possessions and he doesn't want to continually go to the basket if you're knocking him around and saying, we're going to make life hard. Uh, Anytime you come in here, we'll have defenders. They're going to be long and they're going to be ready. That's one of the knocks on Paul George and it didn't affect him in this game. Uh, He played a great first half and Reggie Jackson, I'm not really sure what has gotten into him in these playoffs. I guess... Somebody has to carry the mantle for Steph Curry because he didn't make it. And somehow Reggie Jackson is shooting five for seven from three in every single game. Very bizarre stuff, but the Jazz are at the point where you know you can't leave him alone. You can't give him any space because if he has it, it seems reasonable to assume he's going to knock down that shot. So the second half, uh, we see more of the same. Some lackluster effort from the Jazz. 
and some just inability to stop what the Clippers are doing, this high level of shot making. Kawhi's the one who carries the day in the second half. That's accentuated by Paul George. Kawhi finishes the game with 34 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, 1 block. He's 14 for 24 from the field. 24 of those points come in the second half when it just seemed even easier for the Clippers to generate whatever the hell they wanted on that side of the ball. Uh, And then George, you know, he's still doing his same thing. He has 20 in the first half. He finishes the game with 31 points, 5 assists, 3 rebounds. He's 12 for 24 from the field. He's 6 for 10 from 3. And together, these two just kind of take over the second half, this star combination uh, that we see from the statistics at the start from Jared Dubin, you know, uh, very high-level offensive scores and creators, and especially out of the pick and roll, which when you're playing a smaller lineup, as the Clippers really leaned into in this game, a lot more space, and it makes it a lot easier to play that style of basketball. Uh, Some of the shot making was just really incredible from these two. The Jazz get it down to eight at one point, the closest they get in the second half. And if you're a Jazz fan, you're just scratching and clawing and say, give us anything here, you know? get another stop, get a three. It's a five-point game. The Clippers can start to tighten up maybe. You never know. Uh, Clippers get the ball. George gets it in the corner. Uh, Bogdanovich plays great defense on him. A lot of what we saw in game two out of him. And George just drills a three from the corner with a hand right in his face and a fender right under him. 11 points. The Jazz don't really get close again. Uh, We see another play from Paul George in that quarter where Gobert plays awesome defense. And he just drives to the hole and hits this incredibly tough, twisting layup over his outstretched hand, teardrop into the bucket. It was a combination of shot making, which you know the Clippers can do, and just giving them easier buckets. That was a lot of what Kawhi was doing. Kawhi, who was a master at getting to his spots, the Jazz have done an incredible job in the first two games of preventing him from doing that. Uh, Royce O'Neal in game one, Bogdanovich in game two, combined team effort of just making life hard on him. It was the opposite in the second half of game three. Wherever he wanted to go, he went. Uh, It just seemed like nobody could stay in front of him. Uh, No one was really there waiting at the rim because the Clippers were really stringing Gobert out and and making sure that it was hard for him to be at the hoop. So Kawhi's getting layup. He's getting a dunk. He's getting a 12-foot extended elbow jumper. Uh, That's how he gets to 24 points. That's how he shoots 14 for 24 from the field. The steady diet of these really efficient looks that if anybody's getting them, they'll shoot a good percentage. And if Kawhi's getting them... You expect an even better percentage. Uh, This is a total eye test statement on my part. But another thing that jumped out to me watching was just the crispness of the Clippers ball movement. I think part of that is tied into this small ball lineup that they leaned into. Uh, This five men who can shoot, who all have offensive gifts. And part of it is tied into the urgency that the Clippers played with in a game three that they know they had to win. You expect the very best effort from a team like that. Back against the wall, home. We got to get some something generated for our team. And the Clippers did that from the get-go. Uh, their ball movement was superb. It seemed like the second pass was always there, which you can tell when an offense is humming when they're making the second pass consistently. You get uh, defense moving. You hit that first pass. And it's upon that person to then find the open person. The Jazz were not doing that in this game, as I'll get into. And the Clippers were. It's one catch, immediate decision, swing, open look. That's when you know an offense is humming. Uh, And all of these factors, what Kawhi is doing, what Paul George is doing, what Reggie Jackson is doing, and then this ball movement, 
that's how you arrive at a game where the Clippers shoot out of their minds. They go 50 for 89 from the field. That's 56%. They go 19 for 36 from three. That's 36% or 53%, sorry, uh, on a high volume. You can't really beat a team that's shooting like that. Uh, the depth pieces step up as part of this ball movement, open look style of offense. Nick Batum, he goes four for six from three. Uh, that's an incredible boost to a team. Reggie Jackson, as I mentioned before, he goes five for six. You know, we'll just call him the new Steph Curry until proven otherwise. And Luke Kennard, he goes two for four. Uh, you just have other pieces jumping in and piggybacking on what George and Kawhi are creating within that offense. Uh, and when all those things go together and you have an offensive rating of 142, it just means you're dead in the water. It means you're getting blown out. Uh, and that's what we saw from the Jazz in game three. Doris Burke throughout the broadcast, she notes that the Clippers actually had more open looks throughout games one and two than the Jazz from three-point land. Uh, they just shot a worse percentage. And as much as I love analyzing and really getting into just these tiny things that swing games and series because I think they're fascinating and I think they're part of the story and we tend to forget about them as soon as the game's over and really as soon as the series is over. A lot of times it's just so simple. Um, it's the old make or miss league adage. Sometimes you hit your open shot, sometimes you don't. And if you do that in a high leverage moment, your team won. If you don't, then your team loses. You know, I spent a lot of time in the recap of game two, when the Jazz go on a 14-2 run from the 6.30 mark of the fourth quarter to the three-minute mark. And that was the game. That's where the game was won or lost. And there were a lot of things the Jazz did awesome. Uh, Joe Ingles creating and, and scoring and the Jazz playing defense on certain possessions. There was a lot of plays that were actively made. And yet I hear that from Doris Burke. And me, I always am really aware of this kind of stuff. You know, we'll make grand proclamations about this player's legacy or this team's legacy, and you watch the game and you go, within that 14-2 run in game two, you know, uh, Marcus Morris, Patrick Beverly, and Nick Batum, they have wide open threes within that stretch. Clank, clank, clank. Uh, within that same stretch, Joe Ingles and Royce O'Neal have wide open threes. Swish, swish. Sometimes it's that simple. Uh, and a lot of times that's the makeup of a game, and that's how it's won or lost. Uh, we want it to be just these incredible plays that the stars made or this or that. And it's just sometimes what spot players made their open shots and what players didn't. Uh, in game three, everybody on the Clippers made their shots. Uh, and that's how the game is a 26-point margin. Uh, the Jazz, they have to go back and say, some of these shots, there's nothing we can do. You know, we, we keep playing great defense. We make it harder on them. If George hits this shot, he hits it. If Kawhi hits this shot, he hits it. Uh, it's a steady diet of these open looks. That's what we got to minimize. And we got to do better on our end to limit the Clippers in this area. So the other thing that really stands out in this game, uh, it's on the opposite side of the ball. And it was another thing that really helped to set the tone of the game. It's a defensive adjustment that the Clippers made for the very first time in the series, they make life hard on Donovan Mitchell on the offensive side of the ball. They start with Kawhi Leonard uh, trying to gobble up the majority of possessions as the primary defender on Mitchell. And then in addition to that, they start sending double teams uh, when Mitchell gets into certain spots. And 
With this steady die of Kawhi and facing double teams, Mitchell doesn't score until the 7.30 mark of the second quarter. And for this first quarter and roughly uh, a half, the Jazz offense is really discombobulated compared to what it was in games one and two, where it was more of this free-flowing Jazz style that we know and love. Uh, And yeah, there were a couple times within both those games that it bogged down. First quarter of game one when they missed 20 straight field goals. Uh, And the third quarter of game two when the Clippers go on an enormous run to cut that 21-point deficit all the way down and take the lead. But for the most part, you saw A, Mitchell getting to his spots and scoring, and B, the Jazz feeding off that and piggybacking off that and having the the lesser players, uh, your Bogdanovich, your Ingles, your Clarkson, uh, doing good things on that foundational piece of Mitchell. The offense was slow to adjust in this game. It was really herky-jerky and uncharacteristic of the Jazz how they played uh, with Mitchell having to get the ball out of his hands. You know, when a team brings a double team, as they were doing against Mitchell, Mitchell's a, a good enough passer at this point in time that for the most part, he got it out of there and created four on three now. And the Jazz were strangely hesitant and they didn't maximize that odd man uh, rush, if you want to call it that, in a way that you have to if a team traps your star. You know, there were multiple times within this game where that outlet passes to Royce O'Neal, who then would hesitate and not aggressively go to the basket or aggressively shoot immediately or make that pass to the next person. It was that split second hesitation uh, that allows the Clippers to rotate back. And now they've trapped the ball out of your star player's hand. Mitchell doesn't have it. The shot clock is going down and the defense is again in position. Uh, You saw a lot of that for the first parts of the game. And it set the tone alongside the Clippers' offense. Uh, They slowed down what the Jazz want to do there on the offensive side of the ball. They really slowed down what Donovan Mitchell wants to do, which is score. And they forced the ball into other people's hands. And the Jazz still had some success. You know, I I won't say otherwise. Joe Ingles was awesome during that stretch. He was a really big bright spot. He's swishing three-pointers. He's one of the people who actually made good plays out of these situations. Uh, Clarkson does some really good things within that same stretch as well. Uh, He's scoring the ball in a way that Clarkson can score. But it was just kind of a a discombobulated effort in a way that we're not used to seeing from the Jazz. Uh, We want to see Chris passing, Chris attacking. And it was definitely not that. Uh, Mitchell had some really good passes out of this double team. You know, he whips one cross court to Bogdanovich from he's trapped out near center court and he whips it all the way across the court to Bogdanovich wide open three who air balls. Uh, but the actual pass I'm sitting and watching going, whew, you do that more. And that's a good foundational piece for breaking down this specific strategy because the jazz will hit that more times than not. He does it again. And he whips a pass out of the double team to Clarkson in the opposite corner who swishes a three and you see bits and pieces of, okay, you have to be better prepared as a team for this specific strategy. Uh, if they bring a double team onto Mitchell, everybody else has to either shoot immediately when they get it in their open, or you got to attack the basket, or you got to make an immediate pass. That's what makes that uh, first outlet so important. It's why Draymond Green is such a foundational piece of the Warriors in that whole, dynast- uh, that whole dynastic run. Because when teams would trap Curry, it wasn't a sustainable strategy. Because Draymond is the outlet. 
And Draymond is so good at catching it and having a four on three and immediately turning and attacking. And if you respond to him, he finds an open three-point shooter. And if you don't, he's now at the rim and he's getting fouled or he's scoring. Uh, And teams couldn't defend the Warriors with a constant trap because of that thing. Uh, The Jazz need to do better if the Clippers are continuing to trap in a way that, you know, uh, Draymond perfected with the Warriors. So this style of defense and what the Clippers brought to the table, uh, it forced 13 turnovers from the Jazz, which led to 24 points for the Clippers. Nearly a field goal per turnover, which is really hard to, A, turn the ball over uh, uh, that much, but B, have it translate directly into that many points. Clippers are already balling out on offense. They don't need additional help. And yet, you know, within a lot of these defensive possessions, it leads into these transitional attacks that the Clippers are scoring at at an incredible percentage on. That's part of why this is a 26-point blowout. That's part of what the Jazz are looking at themselves uh, in film study and in practice going into tonight's game and saying, all right, how do we beat this? They bring out the same strategy. What are we going to do differently? How can we make quicker decisions? Uh, And how can we attack with the four on three if Mitchell gets the ball out of his hands? I'll end with Mitchell because he hasn't scored up until the 7.30 mark of the second quarter. And yet, because he has evolved into truly uh, uh, just a special score at this point in his career, uh, he finishes the game with 30 points. Five rebounds, four assists. He's 11 for 24 from the field. He's five for nine from three. As Doris mentions on the broadcast, this is fourth straight playoff game with at least five three-pointers made. Only Steph and Clay have done that. Uh, he's moving into just kind of rarefied territory as a scorer. Uh, even in a game that the Clippers are double-teaming him, trapping him, putting Kawhi on him, he still ends up with 30 points. Because... At this point, we're just going to expect it until proven otherwise. Uh, There's one thing I trust on the Jazz roster. It's Donovan Mitchell's going to score. Uh, And how do we fill in the gaps around that if we're the team? That's one of the main questions the Jazz are always going to ask themselves. The problem with the end of the game is uh, another large question mark now looms over the series as it does in pretty much every series throughout these playoffs. I've recorded a lot of shows about injury luck, uh, the randomized chance that comes with injuries, and how you just hope it doesn't happen to you at the wrong time. We have another example of that yesterday. Bucks, Nets, game four. Bucks are trying to tie up the series. Nets are up by 11 in the second quarter. A lot of similarities between what happened with the Lakers and Phoenix in round one. Lakers are leading that. Series 2-1, they're up by double digits in game two or game four. And Davis goes down. That injury swings the series. Suns win in six. Yesterday, Kyrie goes down in that game uh, with the Nets up. Next thing you know, it does a complete flip-flop. The Bucks are blowing them out. It's a 2-2 series. Who knows when Harden's coming back? Who knows when Kyrie Irving is coming back? There's just injury questions everywhere in every series. This is going to be... It's already a large part of every playoff Uh, In this year, it's even more so. It's one of those years where it's just injury after injury after injury, and it's turning into a war of attrition. Part of what might make the champion this year is just the simple random piece of, were you healthy? And that's a big piece right now. 
Mitchell tweaks his ankle uh, with, you know, uh, six minutes or so to go in the fourth. I can't remember the exact time, but it's about midway through the, the final quarter with the Jazz getting blown out. He hobbles off. And when it happens, I go, oh, no. So now I'm looking at the replay, and they're showing it, and you can't really see anything. He jumps hard off his right foot. He lands on his left, and he's not putting any pressure on the right side. He's hobbling off into the tunnel. And if you're a Jazz fan, your stomach's sinking because you know that there's no chance of winning if Donovan Mitchell can't play. You already have Mike Conley out. You already, for the first time in this series, really felt the weight of that absence. Because if there's one thing Conley brings to the table, it's an A-plus ability to help out a player that's getting trapped and double-teamed. Because when you swing it to Mike Conley, that's one of the smartest players in basketball who can make quick, sec- quick split-second decisions about scoring or passing. That dude is a, an incredible scoring creator. Uh, and they felt the weight of his absence in this game really heavily. Now you have the true star of the team with another injury question. Uh, he was slow to, to get going within the Memphis series. They're limiting his minutes. By the end of that series, I was like, I think he's back to full strength. They got more rest because the Clippers are going to seven games against Dallas. This is great for Mitchell to get healthy. Hopefully this isn't a story. Now it is. Uh, Mitchell's talking after the game about, yeah, it just kind of hurts to jump and land on that ankle. Uh, it's something I've been battling since I came back. Kind of is what it is. Uh, I'll play through it. Who knows in what capacity? We, we have no way of knowing. You know, we're not Donovan Mitchell. Uh, <laughs> but it's just another thing to monitor, to be aware of. And it's another part of random luck and chance that you need to have to become a champion. Uh, the Jazz are looking at this year, and they have to be just licking their chops saying, man, you couldn't be setting up a better scenario for our path to trying to win a title. Star players are dropping like flies. Uh, there are teams that are left in the playoffs that we match up with. Not saying that we're better than, but like we're on the same plane, you know? Clippers are here. The Suns are looming. Like These are all teams within the same category. Uh, the Nets have injuries out the wazoo. That's the one team if you were looking at, you would say, this team is head and shoulders above everybody if they're healthy. We don't even know if they're going to make it out of this round. There's so many question marks with the playoffs this year. And now the Jazz... Uh, they have the Donovan Mitchell question mark looming over them. Uh, is Conley going to be there in game four? If he is, in what capacity? Uh, it seems safe to assume that Mitchell will be playing in game four, but in what capacity? How many minutes? Uh, what load can he shoulder? All questions. Mm. And it's just part of the playoff story of this team. And sometimes... Injury luck plays a larger role than you want it to play. It's just the way of the world, and it blows when it's happening to your team. That's just how it is. So game four is tonight. Very, very large basketball game. Very excited for this game. Uh, The Jazz have a chance to put a stranglehold on the series. You go up 3-1. You've split the games back in Los Angeles. You have a chance to close out the series on Wednesday night in what will definitely be a madhouse. Or if you're the Clippers, you say, we just blew the doors off the Jazz. Mitchell's injury. Uh, let's take advantage of that. Let's beat him up. Let's get the ball out of his hands. Let's continually do what we were doing in game three. Let's force other people to beat us. We can sense blood in the water. We win this game. We go back to game five. Uh, we can take that. We're getting momentum. Uh, we're starting to understand that we feel like we're better than this team. 
there's a lot of things that go into tonight's game. Jazz are five-point underdogs. Uh, and, and we'll see another piece of this puzzle put into place. So that's where we're going to leave today's episode. Uh, and that's where I'm going to pick up tomorrow's show. I'll be back here. Uh, the game tips off at 8 o'clock tonight, Rocky Mountain time. I'll be watching, obviously. I'll be showing up t- tomorrow to talk about uh, what went into the win and the loss. All these things I've been discussing throughout the series. The three-point shooting. Uh, injury luck. Randomized role players stepping up. Uh, star power. George. Leonard. Gobert. Mitchell. All the stuff that has been going into this series. I'll be back tomorrow to talk about it. Until then, peace. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.